Welcome to Lab Talk, a special edition podcast produced by the Scientist Creative Services team, where we explore topics at the leading edge of innovative research. This episode is brought to you by 10x Genomics, which builds solutions for interrogating biological systems at a resolution and scale that matches the complexity of biology. Their rapidly expanding suite of products, which includes instruments, consumables, and software, enables fundamental discoveries across multiple research areas, including cancer, immunology, and neuroscience. Motor neurons originating in the spine control both voluntary and involuntary movements. Even though they have an essential function, they are notoriously difficult to study. In this episode, Nikki Swatch from the Scientist Creative Services team spoke with Jacob Bloom, a graduate student in Aaron Gittler's laboratory at Stanford University, about his work understanding the diversity of spinal motor neurons using single-cell transcriptomics. The nervous system transmits signals from one part of the body to another. Sensory neurons pick up stimuli from the environment and send that information to the brain, while motor neurons carry signals from the brain and spinal cord to muscles that contract in response. Spinal motor neurons, which have cell bodies located in the spinal cord, control many muscles throughout the body. Long axons extending from the cell bodies send signals to their targets via branching projections called dendrites that innervate muscle fibers. Jacob Bloom studies the different types of spinal motor neurons to better understand their function in health and neuromuscular disease. You have this whole brain and spinal cord that has all of these interconnected networks of neurons that are making very complex computations, but at the end of the day, they're all trying to make a decision about very simple things, like which muscle to move to escape from a predator, which organ to control under a, a certain condition. And what motor neurons do is they control those peripheral responses. If you are at the weight room and you're thinking, I really want to lift this dumbbell, you're coordinating all of those motor behaviors up in your brain, sending a signal in your spinal cord, which is coordinating all of the motor neurons in your spinal cord, which are then firing and causing the skeletal muscles in your arms and your back to all contract at the right time and, and produce an output. The neurons that control those skeletal muscles are skeletal spinal motor neurons, while autonomic motor neurons innervate smooth muscle fibers that form the walls of blood vessels and many hollow organs and cause involuntary contractions. Spinal neuron dysfunction underlies many human neuromuscular disorders. This includes amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, or ALS, a disease characterized by the degeneration of a subset of motor neurons that primarily controls skeletal muscles. Bloom and his colleagues developed a strategy to define and identify the different motor neuron subtypes by profiling the transcriptomes of single nuclei. With this knowledge, researchers can better understand the basic biology of motor neurons and the causes of their degeneration. Because motor neurons control many different cell types, each cell's expression of transcription factors and signaling molecules is very tightly controlled. To measure gene expression in single motor neuron nuclei, Bloom and his colleagues first needed to develop methods to isolate these unwieldy cells. You would think that there would be a bunch of cells connecting your brain and all of the muscles in your body, but for each individual muscle fiber, there's just one motor neuron, and its cell body is in the spinal cord, and then it sends these ridiculously wide and long axons snaking all the way throughout your body, 
to then innervate that distal muscle. So if you hit your point in your spinal cord and then draw how that spinal cord would have to get down to your little tippy toe to control a muscle in your foot, that's how long they are. They make up less than 1% of the cells in the spinal cord. So they're a very rare cell population. In the study, we've had to use clever genetic techniques to isolate them preferentially in order to overrepresent them in our sample. Because of their length and the paths they take throughout the body, isolating individual intact motor neurons is impractical. Instead, the researchers extracted just the nuclei from the cell bodies in the spinal cords of adult mice. They enriched their rare cell population by expressing a specific fluorophore in the spinal motor neurons and used fluorescence-activated sorting to separate them from the bulk cell sample. Bloom's team ultimately sequenced the transcriptomes of more than 43,000 single nuclei from mouse motor neurons and additional spinal cord cell types that served as references for comparison. The researchers hoped to find unique transcriptional signatures to serve as markers for identifying different spinal motor neuron subtypes. They found thousands of genes with expression patterns that distinguished skeletal from autonomic motor neurons and divided those major categories into even smaller subgroups. When you turn your eye to the autonomic nervous system and the autonomic motor neurons, the diversity is immense. There are 16 different subpopulations that are all distinguishable from one another with a couple of genes. They're hugely different from each other. Our first hypothesis was that maybe these different populations of motor neurons localize to different levels of the spinal cord. There's a somatotopic map of the spinal cord in the autonomic nervous system where Cells that live up in the top of the spinal cord and the upper thoracic spinal cord may innervate preferentially the heart, for instance, whereas cells that live in the lower part of the spinal cord, the sacral spinal cord, may innervate the genitourinary system and the gastrointestinal system. With this hypothesis, we took markers from our single cell data for a couple of these different populations and then looked every 300 microns throughout the spinal cord to figure out if the populations were indeed localized to different places. We found for the the sacral spinal cord sympathetic motor neurons a massively specific signal where one of the clusters corresponded with sacral autonomic motor neurons and nowhere else. So we're pretty confident that that population, which expresses all sorts of interesting hormones and peptide receptors and and clues into its function is only found in the sacral spinal cord. Identifying and localizing the gene expression of the autonomic motor neuron subtypes would not have been possible using bulk sequencing techniques. With bulk methods, the data from each subtype would have been averaged across the population, producing a single signature that was different from the skeletal motor neurons, but this strategy never would have revealed the complexity of each subgroup. Single-cell sequencing allowed the scientists to appreciate the individuality of each cell in their population. Next, Bloom turned his attention to the skeletal motor neuron data. Skeletal motor neurons are divided into three subgroups. Alpha motor neurons initiate muscle contractions by signaling to extrafusal muscle fibers, which generate tension and move bones. Gamma motor neurons signal to intrafusal muscle fibers, which detect changes in muscles when they contract and relax allowing an individual to judge the position of their muscles. In his single-cell analysis, Bloom found tens to hundreds of markers that distinguish alpha from gamma neurons, a vast improvement from the one or two markers previously discovered by scientists. Bloom was particularly excited about data that potentially identified the third subgroup of skeletal motor neurons, 
the elusive beta neurons. It's an extremely complicated cell type to study because it's defined by the fact that it innervates both intrafusal fibers and extrafusal fibers. So then how do you show that something is actually a beta motor neuron? You have to be able to fill one individual cell with dye and then go take an entire muscle and make sure you see innervation of both intrafusal and extrafusal fibers from one individual skeletal motor neuron, which is an extremely technically almost impossible experiment. Because scientists have never isolated beta motor neurons, there are no markers to identify them. In his analysis, Bloom found a population of cells that had transcriptional characteristics of both alpha and gamma motor neurons. Perhaps this cell population, which the researchers refer to as gamma star, is composed of beta motor neurons. Bloom hopes to use the transcriptional markers characterizing the gamma star population to develop genetic tools to more easily label the cell population and see if they innervate both extra and interfusal fibers. ALS is a progressive neurodegenerative disease with no cure. Researchers do not fully understand why motor neurons degenerate in this disorder because many genes appear to be involved. However, it's clear that some neuron subtypes are more susceptible to degeneration than others. Bloom and his colleagues in the Gitler lab hope to understand the molecular underpinnings of these differences by studying their transcriptome data so that one day the knowledge will be used to diagnose and treat ALS. In ALS, skeletal motor neurons are more susceptible to degeneration than autonomic motor neurons. Within skeletal motor neurons, alpha motor neurons degenerate and gamma motor neurons don't degenerate. Within alpha motor neurons, fast-firing motor neurons that innervate fast-twitch muscle fibers degenerate faster than slow-firing motor neurons that innervate slow-twitch fibers. The fast-twitch muscle fiber is responsible for explosive activities. Sprinters have a lot of fast-twitch muscle fiber, and endurance runners have slower-twitch muscle fiber. In many other ways, these motor neurons are very similar. They just happen to control different subtypes of muscle fibers, and they happen to have slightly different patterns of firing, and one is susceptible to disease, and one is resistant to disease. It was an outstanding question whether it was just that certain motor neurons innervated certain types of muscle fibers and they got different patterns of activity, or whether there was a transcriptional basis for the fast versus slow firing motor neuron distinction. And what we found in our data was that there is a transcriptional distinction between fast and slow firing motor neurons. If you just give me a motor neuron transcriptome, I can tell you with a reasonable degree of accuracy if it's a fast or slow firing motor neuron based on to the types of genes. To confirm that the transcriptional markers distinguished fast versus slow firing neurons, the researchers neurons. performed retrograde tracing experiments. They injected a dye into either fast or slow twitch muscle in mice. Motor neurons trafficked this dye through their axons back to the cell bodies in the spinal cord. Bloom and his colleagues then isolated the spinal cords and determined that the proportions of dyed, innervating fast and slow firing motor neurons corresponded to the proportions of fast and slow firing motor neurons in their data set. Moving forward, scientists can use the skeletal and autonomic motor neuron markers in a variety of ways. For example, the markers can help determine what types of motor neurons grow from different induced pluripotent stem cell protocols. Researchers can also use these data to develop mouse lines to study the effects of stimulating certain motor neurons 
and to learn about neuromuscular disorders. It's super interesting to learn about the basic biology and distinctions within the spinal motor system. But what we really want to do is figure out this baseline state and then look in the context of disease in humans and in mice. If we look in an ALS mouse model, are certain subtypes of motor neurons degenerating preferentially and other subtypes not? Is there a signature associated with the degeneration? Like before motor neurons really start uh, losing function, are there certain genes that are going up and certain genes that are going down that give us a clue into what is causing the degeneration to happen in any individual model? And then are there biomarkers on the transcriptional level that we can look for that might be early indications that a motor neuron is unhappy, which would be useful for intervention in patients. So I think that's really the exciting next step, and stay tuned. Thank you for listening to The Scientist's Lab Talk. This episode was produced by the Creative Services Team for The Scientist and narrated by Nikki Spotch. Thanks again to our sponsor, 10X Genomics. To keep up to date with this podcast, follow The Scientist on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe to our podcast channel wherever you get your podcasts.